Welcome back to the Joke Show here on the Dion Family Network. This is episode five. I've got some just quick quick thoughts on NHL games I've missed over the past, I mean, only like 48 hours, and then uh, NBA playoff preview round one. So let's get into it. First game I missed, which as I was talking about the game, as I was talking about the series that was happening, Boston beats Carolina 3-1 in game three off Tuka Rask opting out to be with his family a lot of people seem to have problems with that and i i understand where they're coming from because they had been there for weeks he'd been playing games he was talking about how it felt like exhibition and not the real playoffs but at the end of the day he has three kids at home and although it wasn't an emergency you don't really know what's going on behind the scenes so fully support to him and for Boston, I mean, this is the best-case scenario. Yaroslav Halak comes up big, 29 saves against a potent Carolina offense who does lose Andrei Svechnikov, which was a terrible situation in which Chara and Svechnikov are kind of battling out in front, and they kind of get tangled up. Svechnikov falls awkwardly on his ankle, and hearing from Coach Rod Brindmore saying that they don't expect him back for the rest of the playoffs is... A huge blow for Carolina, as even though they had split up that top line, they were all still producing. So Svechnikov out, David Pasternak has has been, these NHL playoffs have been ridiculous just for the injuries and unfit to play, and you don't really have a reason Pasternak's been out for the, the past two games for Boston. No, I, nobody has any idea why, obviously the team does, but the NHL said no disclosing. So no Pasternak, no Svechnikov. Definitely some firepower lost in the series. But the real issue with Game 4 coming up tonight is Carolina's goaltending situation, which is a lot of these teams. I know I figured it out with the back-to-back that some teams don't want their goalies playing both, which, I mean, it's a playoff series. At the end of the day, you want the best guy in net. Some some teams have the luxury of having two capable goaltenders instead of just one solid start and still instead of just one capable starter. But Carolina's just going back and forth between Mrazek and Reimer, but there's no Reimer reason. It doesn't matter whether they win or lose. It just seems to be alternating. And I think that's, if they don't figure it out before game five, you could be down 3-1. You could, your season could be over right then and there. And for a young team like Carolina, who got so far last year, to lose in the first round technically although they already swept the rangers in the real first round that'd be tough and the team has a lot of years ahead of them but they need that experience of winning now especially beating a team like boston who swept them last year so i think it's going to be interesting for carolina how they rebound how they supplement the offense you lose to svechnikov and they're a ragtag group. They're a bunch of jerks. But I think this might... The past game might have been a little too much for them. The next game up was Colorado-Arizona. Their game three. Colorado was up 2 nothing. They were kind of dominating. I was expecting a close to a sweep. Maybe five games. But all the credit to Arizona. They beat Colorado 4-2. They also have game four coming up today. This was coming off their back-to-back, and Colorado doesn't really have a starter. They had been starting Philip Grubauer, which I thought, if you make your choice, that's you should stick with your guy. Although they had their back-to-backs that they went with Pavel Francouz and lose, even though Grubauer had won the first two games. And Darcy Kemper, Kemper comes up big for Arizona, stops 49 of 51 shots, which... Arizona's kind of just hanging on for dear life at this point. This Colorado offense is potent, and you're not going to hold down Nathan McKinnon for that long. goes pointless for one game. It wouldn't surprise me to see him explode the next game, at least get one early, because that guy is on a mission. And I think Arizona Arizona is in for a tough time. And, again, their season's on the line. Kemper can save this series, but I don't know if he's going to be enough with that Arizona – power play lacking their penalty kill has been great to slow down Colorado but you need to score to help your goalie out a little bit so yeah game four 
also today, later today. Another again, another game four today. Tampa Bay, Columbus. Tampa Bay beats Columbus three two in game three, and just Columbus is just they're in the series two one, but they're getting dominated. They've been outshot in all three games. Uh, Andre Vasilevsky makes seventeen saves as opposed to Jonas Corposalo's thirty four saves, and Columbus is known as a defensive team. I think they might just be drained from that Leaf series that shouldn't have gone five games based on how the Leafs reacted to their season being over. But I think Tampa Bay's problem is their top-end scoring just isn't the same as Tampa Bay's. And Braden Point keeps his point streak going throughout the playoffs. And yeah, the Jackets just offensively are overmatched. And I think if they push this to six or seven, it's an advantage for them because the longer this goes, the more people are going to be confused and Corpus Allo clearly standing on his head to keep this team even remotely in it and I think Columbus is in big trouble just like Chicago who loses their game three two one flurry in that I thought was an interesting move I know again we're talking about back-to-backs and Robin Leonard and flurry have both been capable goalies but I think in the playoffs just momentum wise you just you stick with a goal even if it's a back-to-back they're professional athletes I think they can figure out how to play two days in a row and for Vegas, they win 2-1, and it's not really any of their stars. It's their depth, and they've just been such a great all-around team that they put Chicago on the brink, and Chicago could do it with Edmonton. It could play with Edmonton because they had more depth, and if you could not even slow down uh, McDavid and Dreisaitl, it was just almost keep up with them, score with them, and Core Crawford hasn't looked that bad, but... Vegas just looks like the much better team. And they they look like the better team just like New York Islanders. And if I went through my picks of the first round, even the qualifiers, I just doesn't make sense that I watch hockey. I just can never get these right, especially come playoff time. The Islanders win 2-1 in overtime. The Capitals just look dead. They, they don't have any mojo. They just – Barry Trotz coached, Trotz coached this team a couple years ago, and he clearly – He's figured out the formula. He knows what to do. He has a renaissance of Semyon Varlamov and a not great offense, but just opportune. And Barzell scores the overtime winner. And Washington's only real chance is their big guns. They just need it. John Carlson has been producing. Ovechkin the past couple games has. Kuznetsov a little bit. But besides that, Backstrom, Verana, they just... They have the depth, they have the pieces there, but it just hasn't been enough. And I don't think it's going to be enough. I think if they push this game, this series to five games, it's going to be a miracle. And I think that team is definitely going to look at themselves. I don't think they bring back Braden Holtby. And I think they're an interesting team for next year, but right now they just they look like they're ready for next year and not ready yet. Uh, next up, uh, another overtime game. Dallas Calgary an absolute barn burner after the second period 3-3 but it's just always Dallas did this against St. Louis and they've been doing it in this series against Calgary as well they're always behind they always need late heroics Joe Pavelski scores a hat trick again a playoff performer with San Jose for years does it again for Dallas but being down this much isn't a good sign for them even if they get out of this series you look to round two you're playing a you're playing a Vegas, you're playing Colorado, you can't fall behind those teams because they're just going to bury you. Although Dallas won it's a 2-2 series, I still really like how Calgary's playing their depth. They have the depth that shows that it doesn't just need to be Goudreau and Monaghan. And you can see their point producing is because of, you could see the pressure taken off of them. Throughout the first two series, it's been their, I guess you call it their third line, but it's really felt like their first line of Dylan Dubé, Milan Lucic, and Sam Bennett. Dubé's got four goals and an assist. Lucic has got a goal and five assists, and he looks like he's playing for the 2011 Boston Bruins again. He just looks like his former self. Sam Bennett, who was kind of a reclamation project, even though he was a high draft pick, he just never really seemed to figure it out and seemed like he was destined for mediocrity is really 
stepped up, especially three points in that last game, two goals. And I think Calgary, although it's a tied series, they picked their goalie. They're running with Talbot. They're sticking to him. And I think Dallas having Hudobin over Bishop for whatever reason it is, is definitely a concern for Dallas, especially once you come to Game 6 or Game 7, which seems to be where the series is headed. I think that's going to be an interesting game. Four up next was uh, Vegas Chicago playing there back to back. The Hawks saved their season. I mean, more literally, Corey Crawford saved their season. Forty-eight saves on forty-nine shots, and a three-one game. That's really a two-one game with an empty netter. It's you need to put that kind of asterisk on it. I think the real thing that's interesting for Vegas is Flurry wins Game Three. They go back to Leonard in Game Four, and now you're stuck. Do you go? Leonard won the first two games of the series, but you just ride the hot hand in flurry because Leonard's coming off a loss. I think Vegas has, out of all of the goaltending situations, they definitely have it the easiest of, you have two definitely reliable starters, either a playoff veteran or someone who's been performing a lot better this season. Over the last couple of seasons, Leonard even with the Islanders. So I think that's over after the next game. Chicago could always surprise me. They've been doing it for a decade, but I think Vegas. Vegas is going to take over. Next came up was Philadelphia-Montreal, and Philly's coming off that embarrassing 5 nothing loss where it was an early afternoon game, and they looked like they were still asleep. But game three, they showed up. They looked like the team that I'd been talking about before. Only a one nothing win. Uh... Goal by Voracek from Giroux and putting that line back together of Giroux, Voracek, Couturier was definitely the right move for the Flyers. And having the depth of you can basically roll your four lines, and if you're shortening your bench, it's three lines, I think has been a huge advantage for the Flyers. Carter Hart comes back in, 23 save shutout, youngest goalie in Flyers history to record a shutout in a playoff game, which I thought was pretty impressive. Even more impressive, though, Hart has 23 save shutout. Carey Price only made 19 saves on 20 shots. This game was block shot after block shot and neutral zone and just a grinding game that had a goal in the first period but didn't lose any of its... Even though it wasn't a high-scoring game, it didn't lose its interest, I guess. It was just a good classic, I mean... It was a playoff game, is really all you can really say about it. Is it's it's amazing that Montreal's playing this well and keeping up with the Flyers. But I think Price is amazing, and I don't think people would doubt that. I don't think he has enough I don't think he has that firepower still to do this to the Flyers. He did it to Pittsburgh because he caught them at the perfect time of they had one exhibition game in which they played the Flyers and lost in overtime. Not much warm-up and nothing to lose, which I think worked for Pittsburgh. But now, I think this is where they're in trouble. They come out with game four, then I'll be wrong and be interested to see where else this series goes because so far the low-scoring games has definitely been in the Flyers' favor. The other great story that's come out of this has been Oscar Lindblom, who just weeks ago was ringing the bell for his last cancer treatment on the practice ice for the Flyers leading their stretches in the stands watching the game and you could see just him being back in that environment has been the best thing for him and I mean for the Flyers whether he plays or not it doesn't matter because he's already there he's in the bubble and he's become like a rallying cry for them and they know, yeah, we're we're doing they're doing it for Oscar. They're winning for Oscar. And I think that's great. The last game, which was last night, was St. Louis Vancouver. And I have to say, thank goodness, because I picked St. Louis to win this series. And that first two games looked like Vancouver Vancouver showed St. Louis that they were the last place team again. But the Blues showed up. They dominated not all of the play, but definitely the second and third period. I thought Moving from Jordan Bennington, who won the Stanley Cup for you last year, to Jake Allen was a risky move. Allen still made 39 saves, including the over, including in overtime. And the Blues showed up. It it looked like a game from last year. Those, even though 
It was no Tarasenko, no Steen, no Troy Brower. They still just looked like the Blues again. And not that the Canucks played bad, because, again, Quinn Hughes and Elias Patterson have been dominant this series. Bo Horvat had a quieter game, but you could still, every time he carried the puck, you could see him making those moves and doing that play again that he has the first two games. That overtime winner, though, I think was luck, almost lucky for St. Louis, because I think the longer that overtime went, the better it was for Vancouver, because although... They were getting outplayed. It's a playoff game, and all you need is one good shot on net, one deflection. And I think if Vancouver came out of that game up 3 nothing in the series, it would be over. Now I think St. Louis has a bit more of a chance. They have game four tonight. And you gotta, if you're St. Louis, you got to just stick with Jake Allen. Bennington's great. He's the future, but Jake Allen's the call right now, which I never thought I'd really say. So that's about, again, NHL games tonight. Uh, talk about that again Friday. I'm sure we'll have some eliminations to talk about. But I want to get to NBA playoff preview. got round one. Uh, I'm going to start in the east. We got Milwaukee, the one seed, facing off against Orlando, the eight seed. This Milwaukee team, although this, this is kind of the difficult part about talking about this, is they're in the bubble. It's been over a month of them there. And you still just kind of have to give teams the benefit of the doubt right now. If Orlando comes out and wins this series, I'd sure everyone would be surprised. But in this year, in this environment, I, I wouldn't really be surprised. They do look poised for a deep run. You have those top two guys in Giannis and Chris Middleton. They're going to show up. You know they are. But it's definitely interesting to see Orlando... I think the real question for Milwaukee is going to be, do you have a point guard that shows up? Because they have Eric Bledsoe and George Hill. George Hill, the veteran, Eric Bledsoe, kind of been known to disappear come playoff time. I think that's going to be the real, especially now when Giannis can kind of dominate and he can can really win you this series by himself, just giving you a big enough lead that he doesn't even have to play in the fourth quarter like they did all year. But you don't know if they're really going to bring it back like that. And then for the Magic, I feel bad for them. They're a solid team. They have that core of Vucevic, uh, Aaron Gordon, and Evan Fournier. I think the real question, not even question, but just the real X factor to them would be Fultz. If Markel Fultz can show up, and I mean, this guy's the number one overall pick. I know he had his issues with Philadelphia, but coming out of Washington, he was getting James Harden comparisons. And... I think watching his highlights, it's justified, and I think having the reclamation project and not having the pressure on you has definitely been better for him in Orlando. I think losing Jonathan Isaac was a lot bigger than people would think, because I know he just kind of seems like he's their starter. Yeah, he's the depth piece. A lot of people criticized him for not kneeling for the anthem, and even and then that game, he tore his ACL. It's a Really tough situation, but Isaac's someone you could throw at Giannis for even a few minutes, which is going to be all these Eastern Conference teams. Everything is going to go through Milwaukee, and you need enough defenders to... There's no way you're stopping him completely, but you need to slow him down or slow his teammates down. That's really your only option at that point. So in that series, I have the Bucks winning, I'll say, five games just because the playoffs are weird and... I think Orlando has enough shooting and can kind of throw weird stuff at Milwaukee that they can take a game. But overall, I don't think they can keep up with the Bucks. And because because it's a straight bracket, I'll go next up to the 4-5 game, which we saw them play twice already. Uh, Indiana's the four seed. I think no Sabonis, although they've played well so far. I think come playoff time. And I think in the future for this Pacers team, if they're still together next year, I think Sabonis is huge because having him and Turner out there together or you can play Sabonis as your small ball five, I think is a lot bigger than people realize. I know TJ Warren was first team all bubble. It was eight games and now it's the playoffs. And although Jimmy Butler said their rivalry is dead, I think a few games of them playing against each other and know this is the team you have to beat four times. 
I think that rivalry is going to be reignited. And beyond that, Victor Oladipo, who was in scrimmage games, still not deciding, which again, you can't judge anyone for that. But him and Malcolm Brogdon just haven't, again, it's the regular season, seeding games, whatever you want to call it. So you don't know how much they're really trying, but I don't think there's really a switch that you can just kind of turn on, especially playing this Heat team. They just have looked shaky, although the holidays have looked great. And having that three-guard setup is is such a different thing in the NBA now that I never thought would happen. But you can have Brogdon and Oladipo and Aaron Holiday out there together, and it's just it's not a bad thing. And they've got this good rivalry with Miami, especially having those two games. For Miami, it's which, which are their guards? Because they have two just solid guards, Goran Dragic and Kendrick Nunn. Which one of them is going to show up? Because I'm sure they can flip-flop games. Dragic is the veteran. Kendrick Nunn has definitely been one of the better rookies this year. Which one of them is going to show up and help this Bucks team? Because when both of them are out, I loved this Miami lineup that didn't have a true point guard. It was Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, Jimmy Butler, Derek Jones Jr., and Bam Adebayo, which I thought was a great lineup. Hero, Robinson, great shooters. Hero can kind of handle the ball, but you definitely leave that more to Butler. Butler is their go-to scorer. Derek Jones Jr. is getting uh, reevaluated now. He had a pretty bad fall in that last game against Indiana, I think. Him not being there is going to be pretty big, but it might give more minutes to someone like Kelly Olynyk or Jay Crowder, which are two underrated shooters and defenders. And yeah, this team is kind of built on shooters getting open, running off picks. Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler kind of running their offense and even their de- and anchoring their defense. So I think this is a very even series. I think with Sabonis, it's even more interesting. I'm going to go with the Heat and six just because of how back and forth it is. But at the end of the day, when you need a reliable scorer, although Jimmy Butler didn't do it last year for Philadelphia, I think him and Bam are going to show up in the end. Which is where we get to the 3-6 matchup. We got Boston-Philadelphia, which should be a lot better of a series, but you've just seen how they've played. Both Both of these teams have played in the bubble. I think Boston's real concern is Campbell Walker, not even right now, but just his future. He had those knee problems going back to the All-Star game and played in that whole long fourth quarter. So I think his knee issues going forward are just tentative, dangerous. You want to make sure you're protecting this guy's future, but also trying to win a championship. It's a hard balance. Then you got Jason Tatum, their absolute number one star. Had that really horrible first game, goes 2 for 18. Then he gets a haircut and drops 34 on Portland, which, as good as we've seen Portland play, which we'll get to them, that's pretty huge. And obviously you've got your solid Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, Gordon Hayward, kind of interchangeable pieces, which to me their best lineup as long – actually, no, not even – now with any caveat, it's got to be – Obviously, if you're playing, if if this just happens and you play the Houston Rockets, you can play Tatum or Jalen Brown at the five, really, against the Rockets because they have such a small lineup. But for me, it would be Kemba, Smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Daniel Tice. Their depth's okay. Grant Williams, Robert Williams. They have Brad Wanamaker, which going forward, I think they need a better backup point guard. The good thing about the bubble is we got to see all these teams' depth, especially that last, that, those last couple of days where everybody had their lineup, like not their lineup set, they had their uh, place set in the standing. So there's nothing you're really playing for. Everyone's resting or has minor injuries that aren't a problem. I kind of like Carson Edwards for Boston. I think him playing over Brad Wanamaker, I don't think they'd do that yet, but maybe by next year if he's a better defender. I think the Celtics having a backup guard, a backup point guard, is definitely a need for them going forward. Moving on to Philly, this is it kind of sucks to see them 
I kind of was hoping maybe they'd jump up, especially moving Simmons to forward, but now no Ben Simmons for the playoffs, having surgery on his knee. Their starting lineup now is a little shaky, to say the least. I know before it was Shake Milton, Josh Richardson, uh, I was about to say Joe Harris, Tobias Harris, and Embiid with Simmons in the other forward spot. Now it's Horford, and they made the right move putting Shake Milton in the lineup instead of Horford. I don't think that works. I think it's been a horrible signing for Philly, and honestly, Boston should have kept him too. Just some size, depth, which hasn't worked out for Philly. Uh, they have Korkmaz. They have a decent bench. Matisse Thibel too, a good defender. Maybe he's playing at the end of games. As I think if you put Thibel, because you can do Shake, Josh Richardson, Thibel, Harris, and Bead, I think that's a lot better. I think you have shooting. I think you have you don't lose that much on the defensive end. I know Horford's an anchor, but you already have Embiid. You don't need two guys. You don't need twin towers. This isn't the 1980s with the Houston Rockets, and it's not Hakeem Olajuwon and Ralph Sampson. I know Embiid gets comparisons to Olajuwon, but he hasn't played that great, and I think he has a chance to dominate this series because the Celtics are going to throw Daniel Tice and Ennis Cantor, who Tice is probably an underrated defender, but... Still, not, not stop, not shouldn't be stopping Embiid, and I know Embiid has a weird thing, especially with the Raptors. I just, I think Boston wins in five. I love Embiid, but I think Tatum and I think star power. This for right now, the 76ers would win with Embiid, but the Celtics' depth and better shooting, better defense. I just. Yeah, Celtics. Yeah, Celtics in five. If Embiid is really Embiid, he can push the series to six or seven. And if he gets to a game seven, I know he has that experience against Toronto last year, but I don't think it gets that far. Uh, last up in the East, we got Toronto and Brooklyn, which a few years ago, if you just put this Raptors team a few years ago against Brooklyn, I'd be more inclined to take Brooklyn, but this Raptors team looked completely different. They had their one really bad game against Boston, which I guess is definitely concerning going into the next couple of rounds, but they had one horrible game against Boston. They had the second seed wrapped up, and their bench just kept winning games. They finished 7-1, 7-1 in the bubble, which I think is a lot bigger than people think because this is the only sample size we get of these teams over the last few months. I think the Raptors' front court is great. I think Marcus Hall has played really well. I think especially the way he can really shut down a center with Vucevic and Embiid, two high-level centers in this league. Even Ibaka coming off the bench, good shooting and still a rim protector. And out of the backups, Chris Boucher has probably been the most impressive for the Raptors. He really showed up in those games because he had to play big minutes because Ibaka was was had an injury which I'm sure now is healed but Gasol was kind of he started but he was playing limited minutes because they want him rested for the playoffs Boucher played really well and in terms of the Raptors backcourt too it's pretty loaded and it's amazing that Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet both under 6-3 I guess we'll say have played really well and just defensively they're they're really good even their next two guards it's uh, Terrence Davis, who comes off the bench and has energy and on most nights is making the right plays. Obviously, he's still young and making mistakes, but Nick Nurse has created an offense where they can all really show up and play with a, like a swagger almost. And and then obviously, we've got Matt Thomas, who to me looks like J.J. Redick, not in terms of how good he is yet. But the way he runs off screens and is shooting basically while he's still running, which has been a J.J. Redick patent. And if that Raptors second unit is running plays, not every time, but Matt Thomas on a streaky night could give you 15 or 20 points, which could make a difference in one of these games. And obviously once you get to their forward spots, you've got OG Ananobi who doesn't put up big numbers, but it's just really good defensively. 
and the exact unselfish guy you need on a team like this. You got Norm Powell, who can play if need be, definitely on the second unit, but come crunch time, if OG's having a bad night, if Fleet's having a bad night, you can definitely stick Powell in there, and he'll perform. In the other forward spot, you got Pascal Siakam, who is their best player and kind of needs them to be their best player, although of how well they play as a team. Siakam just almost quietly leads them. He's definitely not their vocal leader, but just as a scorer, as an offensive facilitator, and a really good defensive player. And then you got Rondé Hollis-Jefferson comes off the bench as well. I just think this Raptors team is really solid all around, and they've built them a lot better than they have the last few years. I know obviously last year is it's going to be the exception to the rule, but I definitely have the Raptors, and I think I'm going to take them in I'll take them in five just because I think Brooklyn can squeak out a game. And they can because they have Karis LeVert, who has become an elite scorer in the bubble. And in that Portland game, he was their go-to guy, and he would go to the basket, and no one could really stop him, which I think is a concern for the Raptors. As great as they are defensively, he is a great scorer. And they still have Joe Harris, a great streaky shooter for sure, and Jared Allen, a rim protector who is going to get the Raptors front court problems. I don't think it's enough, but even this just land of misfit toys where it's Chris Chioza and Tyler Johnson and uh, TLC, Timothy, I actually can't say his full name. It's really hard. It's French. Uh, and Garrett Temple. They just, at this point, they came in as, I think they came in as the eight seed. They moved up to the seven seed because they played really well. But I think they're just going to run into a brick wall, which is the Raptors. And I think five games is fair. I think this team's playing with house money. They're waiting till next year. Although I am going to find it interesting about how Kevin Durant isn't even picking his own team to make the finals. I know he's just kind of an honest guy. But I think that locker room dynamic next year is going to change, especially with Kyrie and Durant back, DeAndre Jordan, Spencer Dinwiddie, Torian Prince. A lot of guys... like over half their team that isn't there right now is just going to kind of take over next year, which will be definitely interesting to see. So that's Eastern Conference. Go on to the West. This is, for a 1-8 matchup, this is the best thing we could have imagined. We've got the one-seeded Lakers who haven't looked good in the bubble. They clinched the one-seed fairly early, so you know, there was a lot of rest and not big minutes for guys. Obviously, this starts with LeBron James and Anthony Davis. They're gonna they're gonna score. They're gonna put up big numbers, and it just depends on the, how this Blazers team can react. I think beyond this, even this series, I think the Lakers' depth, I guess, is a problem. Because I was just looking through the players. Kuzma is definitely, I think, he has to be their third option. He had that game winner against the Nuggets, and that ridiculous quote about if Jesus was standing in front of him, he would still shoot. I think that's, you got to respect the confidence in him, but I hope he keeps that for the Lakers' sake. But then they have this kind of, just just a clusterfuck is the only way I could call, is the only thing I could call it with their guards. With no Avery Bradley, who was a solid piece for them all year, and Rajon Rondo, who's presumably out for, I think, at least the second round, you got Contavious Caldwell Pope, you've got Danny Green, Alex Caruso, Quinn Cook, J.R. Smith, Dion Waiters. I think come playoff time, you can't play all of those guys. They need to figure out who is going to be able to play big minutes. And obviously, you use those first few games to figure it out, but they don't have much time, especially against this Blazers team. Then once you get to the front court beyond LeBron Davis, it's. Uh, Markeith Morris, Dwight Howard, and JaVale McGee, which I think JaVale's played really well. He's a He could be a crunch time guy, but I think the Lakers figured it out once they had Davis at the five, Especially just in crunch time. If you start a game with McGee, Davis, Kuzma, one of those guards, and LeBron, I think you're set. But come the end of a game, it'll be Davis, Kuzma, LeBron, and 
whichever two guards they really trust that night, even though LeBron really is a point guard. But for this sake, we'll just call him a forward. Then this Portland matchup, I think, is the worst thing they could imagine. You got Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum, which I talked about, the Lakers guard problem, which it is a problem. And you have Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum, who for these eight games, they've been playing playoff games, and especially Damian Lillard. He used the bubble MVP. And at the time, I thought it was Devin Booker. Once I looked back at Portland was the nine seed going in, and they should have been in this position, but they jumped Memphis. They won that first game in overtime. And Damian Lillard wasn't great that night. It was more CJ McCollum, which it's amazing they can go back and forth, which I think this is a horrible matchup that those two are going to are going to cause for them. The only advantage the Lakers will have is they have their favorite lineup, I would say, is the three guards, so Lillard, McCollum, Gary Trent Jr., who's been amazing defensively, great shooter, everything that this Trailblazers team needs. And then they got Carmelo Anthony, who I know they were calling him Skinny Mellow, but he's looked amazing. Clutch shots, just was never really a three-point shooter before, but still will have those possessions where it, it looks like Carmelo Anthony from any age. And he just will dip his shoulder, turn around jumper, and it's good. And it's still good. He's one of the best scorers of all time. And then Nurkic, who... Amazing performance by him, 21 points, 21 rebounds against Memphis in that playing game, playing with a heavy heart, losing his grandmother on the way to the game, which I thought was huge even after the game. He said, I didn't want to play, but she made me. I thought that was great. And I think Nurkic has played great. Their front court, I know the Lakers have Davis, Howard, and McGee, but Nurkic coming back has looked amazing. Zach Collins has looked really good. Hassan Whiteside playing in those limited minutes is really good for them. He just he's some energy that they need, and they don't need to need him to play that much. And at the end of the day, this team's been playing playoff games. They've been needing to maintain their record to get into the playoff play in series. Then they walked into that playing game, and crunch time is definitely close. It was a really good game, but you could just see Portland wanted it more. And Portland had the experience. And I think this is going to be a really good series for a 1-8 matchup. I think at the end of the day, I am going to take the Lakers. Because it's LeBron and Anthony Davis. It'd be really fun. It is going to be really fun. I'm going to say the Lakers get pushed, though. I'm going to say the Lakers win in 7. Because I think at the end of the day, LeBron and Anthony Davis can pull this out. But I think they've had their problems in the bubble. And I don't think you can just turn it on. I think the Blazers are going to surprise some teams. I wish I could take the Blazers, but I just, I can't. I can't uh, yeah, no, I can't take the Blazers. It would be, it is really fun, and honestly, I'm cheering for them because of how well they've played and how great of a matchup this is. But at the end of the day, LeBron James has never lost in the first round, and I don't think he will, at least not this time. Uh, four, f- the 4-5 matchup in the West is uh, Houston-Oklahoma City. For Houston, I think this team knows itself, which I think is something that a lot of teams can't say. This team runs, is going to live or die by James Harden. Like having no Russell Westbrook, though, is very concerning. Obviously, James Harden can be their point guard. That isn't their problem. But Westbrook is a penetrator. He's been a better shooter, for sure. I don't know if the numbers would back that up, but just watching him makes me think he's become a better shooter. And then they kind of have this like weird, I don't want to say weird, but just like a unique group of Eric Gordon, Austin Rivers, who had one really good game, uh, Ben McLemore, Daniel, uh, Daniel House. They just, you know what this team's doing. They're going to shoot a bunch of threes. They're going to try to play defense. But if you have big guys that can dominate them down low, you're going to dominate P.J. Tucker and Jeff Green and Robert Covington and Damari Carroll because those, those are their bigs. And I think this team is going to live or die by the three, and it's just kind of the way basketball is now, but they're definitely the 
number one team that plays that way. And I think for OKC, it's going to be interesting. They're just are, yeah, they're under a year removed away from making that Westbrook Chris Paul trade, which Westbrook was the was the franchise. They lost James Harden and then Ibaka and then Durant left. He was that franchise, and now the first few games without him, OKC's guards are really good, and you can put I guess like and against the Rockets, you can play them at the same time if you really want to. And Chris Paul, Shea Gilgis Alexander, who is their go-to scorer, which for a guy in his second or third year is pretty impressive. And then Dennis Schroeder, who, in my opinion, is the sixth man of the year, coming off the bench and running that second unit was amazing for him with Westbrook, and it seems like with Chris Paul, he's gotten even better. Their problem their problem is with their wings. You kind of have Terrence Ferguson and Dort and Hammy Diallo, which just one of those guys needs to really show up for them to be good because then you have your bigger Danilo Gallinari, Darius Baisley, who's played really well like a good shooter that people haven't really been respecting. Then Mike Muscala and Abdel Nader, who are all kind of tweener guys, but they could show up in the right series. And definitely the size advantage goes to the Thunder. Because even down low, they have Steven Adams and Nerlens Noel, who I don't think anyone's really going to be able to cover them. At the end of the day, I think Houston... It really comes down to Westbrook if he comes back in time. Although this is, I just think Houston relying too much on the three is going to hurt them. And I think I'm going to take the Thunder. I'm going to take them in seven games. So I think this is going to be a barn burner of a series. But I think Houston's live or die by the three mentality is going to end up hurting them at some point. If it's not round one, it's round two. But I like the Thunder and I definitely don't want to just pick all the higher seeds because that's not as fun. Next up's the three-six matchup: Denver, Utah. Which this Denver team, Jamal Murray's come back. He's looked. He's played really well. You got uh, more Monte Morris, Craig, uh, Craig, Troy Daniels. That backcourt's interesting. No Gary Harris. No Will Barton. I think hurts them, but their front court which I couldn't even most of these teams you can do backcourt wings front court but with this Nuggets team we saw it in their first scrimmage game it was Jokic Jerry and Grant or not Jerry Jeremy Grant um Millsap Plumlee Bull Bull for those who wouldn't really think of that lineup the smallest guy in that lineup is six foot nine and Jokic was their point guard. Bull Bull, who is over seven feet tall, wasn't even their center that game. It was Mason Plum or whichever Plumley they have. And that's basically their front court. Yeah, Jokic, Millsap, Grant, Plumley, Bull. And if they really want to unleash Bull Bull, I think not really with Gobert, but in the second unit against Bradley, uh, Tony Bradley for the uh, Jazz, I think he can wreak havoc for a few minutes a game. He can shoot, he can pass, and obviously the best guy so far for obviously kind of expected from Jokic. I think Murray's a little more inconsistent. But Michael Porter Jr. has been really good for the Nuggets. And having him as a reliable wing in this series I think is going to be huge, especially once we go on to the Jazz. No Mike Connolly out of the bubble to go uh, be there for the birth of his son. Obviously no one, no one's going to criticize him for that. It's always family first. Donovan Mitchell, who I actually saw that they listed as as their point guard now, at least until Connolly comes back. I think that's really smart. They had Ingles starting at the two and just a bigger lineup, which I definitely think is the exact way you combat this Nuggets team. And they got Manuel Moutier and Jordan Clarkson, which Moutier, I think, was just kind of always a filler piece. He's still going to be their backup point guard, even when Connolly comes back, which I think they said he's missing the first three games. And then hopefully he's back, which for the Jazz' sake and for the series' sake, I hope that's true. Clarkson, though, is a great streaky scorer. I think he's played really well. 
and you don't they don't put them in situations to fail. Especially once you look at their wings and it's Joe Ingles, Royce O'Neal, George Niang, uh Morgan, who I honestly didn't really know who it was before this series started, which kinda like I, I'm just the Jazz I never really see them play that often. And I think obviously once you go to their front court, Rudy Gobert is one of the best centers in this game. I think Tony Bradley is kind of is kind of going to be a problem for them. Uh, I think having Juwan Morgan in the starting lineup is a little scary for Jazz fans. I know you can; it's just the starters, but if you're starting, you clearly you clearly have the trust of your coach. And I think this Denver team is really good. And I think they're going to win in six. I'm going to go with six just because Connolly, that veteran presence coming back, I think will be big for the Jazz if he does indeed come back. I think Donovan Mitchell's a great scorer. I think he's better than Jamal Murray. But I think Jokic over Gobert and even the Nuggets center depth, I think is going to be the deciding factor in the series. So, yeah, Nuggets in six. Uh, final series before we go, we got the two-seeded LA Clippers and the seven-seeded Dallas Mavericks, which it's almost funny to see Dallas because they have an MVP candidate as a seven-seed, but we'll start with the Clippers. They have this kind of backcourt depth that's also a question mark. Pat Beverly, game-time decision. Uh, Lou Williams, who was out of the bubble, has come in and played pretty well I'm pretty sure if you watch those Clippers games you kind of just saw they're trying to figure out the flow and rhythm of their offense before they get to the playoffs then you got Reggie Jackson who I think was a great pickup especially with kind of Beverly being out Lou Will being out at the beginning I think he's been a great depth piece even Landry Shamit I think is really good and it's amazing that the 76ers kind of drafted Matisse Thibault even though they had Landry Shaman, I think they realized they made that mistake. Shaman's also a question mark. But once you get to the wings of the Clippers, that's where that's where this team's going to live or die. Kawhi Leonard has obviously had a slower start, has been picking it up throughout. He's a, At the end of the day, he's a finals MVP, a two-time finals MVP for two different teams. He's going to show up in the playoffs. I think the Clippers, real... And not even issue, but the real way they're going to go deep in this playoffs is Paul George. Because if you look back through his playoff history, he tends to disappear. And I love Paul George, but you need to show up in these games. Kawhi Leonard can't win it by himself. Even the Raptors pieces around him stepped up last year. So I think Paul George is definitely going to be key for this team, even in this Mavericks series. He needs to show up and assert his playoff dominance. He called himself Playoff P and then got embarrassed off the court by Damian Lillard, which his only response was that's a bad shot, which sure it is, but it's the last shot of the game. He should be playing deep. He should be playing tighter defense, especially on Damian Lillard, who you know has ridiculous range. The rest of the rest of the Clippers front court, you know, Marcus Morris, Michael Green, Patrick Patterson if he plays solid pieces, but you know this team is going to live or die by those two, by Kawhi and Paul George. Even their front court, Montrez Harrell, was back in the bubble a week ago, cleared quarantine, has been on the court, probably playing limited minutes, at least for game one, to just kind of get his legs back, get him back in playoff action, get him used to playing in this bubble atmosphere. Then you got Joakim Noah and Zubac, who Zubac will start, but Harrell will close out games. Especially, Zubac just isn't reliable enough to be there at the end of games, and Noah is just a depth piece. Especially with Harold being uh, Harold leaving the bubble. So I think that Clippers team, I could see them losing, but I I just think Kawhi Leonard just wills them at least the second round. But this Dallas team lives or dies by Luka Doncic. I think Seth Curry also has been amazing. He's a great three-point shooter. I know everyone talks about Steph and how he's one of the greatest. I think Seth is probably the most underrated three-point shooter in the league. I think Doncic Curry backcourt 
it's pretty fun. Then they still have kind of those tweeners. You got J.J. Barea, who's been there forever. Trey Burke, who I think has been a great addition, especially when you want to save minutes for the playoffs. You want your stars playing as much as they can. And DeLon Wright, who I think is is pretty good. And obviously, at the end of the day, he's an NBA player and a depth, but he is a depth piece on this team. I think Dallas's problem. Obviously, Luca can triple double and score his way through a series, but I don't think it's going to be a winning series, mostly because of these wings. You got Tim Hardaway Jr., Dorian Finney-Smith, Justin Jackson. There's Michael Kidd Gilchrist, who no one. He was second overall pick, and now he's not even really playing on this Mavericks team. They still have Maxi Kleba, and especially their front court. I think if they end up winning the series, which I don't think happens, it's going to be because of Chris Porzingis. If he really steps up and is that second piece, I think he's going to be great. I think it'll be great for Dallas, even if they push this to six or seven games. And obviously, Porzingis can't play the whole game. So you have Boban Marjanovic, who will play a few minutes, and he's going to give centers problems. No matter if he isn't the most skilled guy on the floor, he's still taller than most people, has a reach that even Anthony Davis can't get to. I think this is going to be a fun series. I think, as good of a scorer Luka is, I think the Clippers' depth and their stars are really going to show. And I think. The Clippers take this series in six. I think Dallas will definitely push them. It'll be a great series. But at the end of the day, the Clippers, although they don't have the pedigree, their number one star does. So, yeah, that's uh, the first round preview. If you want to check out the other stuff we're doing, you can check out uh, Instagram, Dion Family Network. You can follow me on Instagram at uh, jack.dion. You can check out my blog or everything will be in the description. Uh, Obviously, find this podcast, Spotify and Apple and uh, talk again, talk again Friday, update, kind of see where the playoffs are because now it's just it's playoff time everywhere. It's the best time of the year, although it's the middle of August. I don't think anyone expected this. Besides that, yeah, check out everything that's in uh, in the description down below, and uh, we'll see you next time.